0: what's up everyone welcome back to the deer vein podcast today we have taylor coleman on and taylor is part of captured creative big media guy photography videography uh you guys do like a lot of work for first light you do some work for vortex i really like those photos that you guys just put up yesterday those are pretty badass
1: yeah yeah oh yeah we we get ourselves into plenty of little uh fires when it comes to different brand work and um it's a, it's a heck of a lot of fun. You get yourself into some unique situations.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So they do, uh, what are some other, you were, it's first light. Um, I know you do a lot with them, but then also, um, you're starting to do vortex. Um, I saw dialed archery. Is that a whole new
1: thing? That's something I can't talk about too much yet. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. But, but, uh, it's, it's a new thing. Everyone should go check it out. Um, it, it's a it's a work in progress
0: all right. so if you're into archery
1: check it out for sure all right
0: what about uh and that's at dialed archery um what other companies do you guys work with
1: yeah so um captured creative was started as a media production company um about 2013 was kind of when we kicked it off it, it obviously like every uh fun project it started out in Nights and weekends, just with Jordan Riley and myself. Um, we've been friends since we were kids, and went to high school together, and stayed in close touch and throughout uh, college. And then, when we got done with college, we went off, started doing our our normal jobs. Um, I guess you could say, like more of your normal. He was a graphic designer, and I was a salesman at John Deere, actually, for a little bit. And nice. Um, then. It, through, through that process you sort of start to learn or start to see yourself being pulled in certain directions and we just felt like we needed to challenge ourselves more and realign ourselves with with more of a passion and um, so we we started capture creative nights and weekends and we actually lived together for two years right during that about that time and it uh, it kind of fueled the, fu- the flame and we we uh, it it kicked off from there. And I think we, I quit my job and went full-time capture creative in 2016, I believe. I think think it was the spring of 2016. So we've been at it for a little while now. And, um, but but as far as the uh, companies that we have worked with it's been a a more of a relationship based uh, building process. And it starts started with matthews and first light and um hha sports and shrewd archery and um, a lot of archery related companies that's kind of our passion and then we we've gotten into doing some work for Weatherby and Exo mountain gear from the pack company out west and Mm -hmm. um just a a slew of other companies obviously a lot of people have found us or know about us because of our work with the back 40 uh with meat eater (laughs) and uh and mark kenyon um so that that was a fun process and definitely a, a growing phase there um being able to work with work with the best um company in the or best media company in the uh um spit in the hunting space so yeah that was fun
0: yeah meat Eater, they certainly have a, a wide variety of outlets now man
1: yeah they're, they're they got their cool hands up. in everything <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right yeah for sure yeah Um, so when you were, when you were doing the back 40 stuff, like, were you in Michigan like every weekend?
1: So it was a unique situation. Um, at the time we, we started that project in like 2018. I think the fall of 2018 was the, or sorry, no, it would have been 2019. Get my years mixed up here. COVID year is kind of like a a big old blank space in my head, but I think 2019 was the year that we started that project, season one of that project. And um I have I I have two little kids right now, another one on the way. And nice, congrats. Uh, yeah, thanks. But because of that, and Jordan didn't have any young ones at home at that time. And so he actually took a lot of the road, a lot of the road work for that project. He was the one going okay. to Michigan along with our. Uh, employee Hunter Rude, so okay. um, Hunter and Jordan tackled everything to do with the back forty project, and then season two rolled around, and we actually got uh, a couple other um, talented uh, videographers involved um, to help out with season two, uh, the shooting schedule. So, but it's okay. a it was a it was a grind. I don't I don't know if you followed along on that on that project, but uh, it was all kind of semi live, so you would shoot say september 1st you did a shoot Mm -hmm. from september 1 to september 5th you'd come home and like a month later that episode was going to air and now we're like in the heat of hunting season and you're going back to the back 40 again for another trip in like at the end of september before that first one airs but you're crunching on rough drafts and all of a sudden you're getting two more episodes shot and you need to get those done before november and it's like the semi-live posting schedule, which there's some, there's some people that really pull it off nicely in the industry, like the hunting public um, and yeah. plenty of other YouTube channels that do semi-live, but a lot of them are uh, no fault to them. It's their style, but they just, they, they keep it a little rougher. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times there's no music to it. There's no um, really set interviews, um, that kind of stuff. And uh, we were trying to make more of a really cleaned up TV show. That's, in the edit process, it's a lot more complex to put together. Right. So it, it was a, it was a learning experience. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, everyone can fill in the blank on the, on the rest of it. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, there's, there's two, two ways you can push, push uh, content out, right? You can yep. be a rock house motion and put it into the edit booth, shoot for six months, and then put it in the edit booth for another six months and then come out with this phenomenally, you know, artistic and cinematic project. Or you can do a hunting public and, you know, film it one day, sit down, make some cuts, mash it together, put it out the next. In the McDonald's
1: parking lot. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
0: So yeah. you can, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with either of them, right? It doesn't, it, it's not like this one's better than that one. No. It's, it's what, what the individual and what that team wants to portray and, and is, is content, the amount of content more important to them, or is it the quality of the content or is there a, is there a fine middle ground, which is what you guys were working on is like, okay, we want high quality, but we still need to push this out really fast and we have to shoot this and push it out and edit it. So I imagine Jordan and, and Hunter and that team were coming back and be like, hey, Taylor, here's all these cards. Start pushing through them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it, it was a grind that way in the edit. There was a lot of uh, grabbing a coffee at 10 o'clock at night to sit down at the computer and work from 10 to three in the morning. Yeah. Be- not because you didn't have time during the day to edit, but just because that due date was... The next morning right and (laughs) it's like we just got to get this done and the only way to get bigger edits done is just to crush on the computer you you just you have to spend a lot of time in the edit bay to get it all done but to your point on the social media or or media um media consumption side it's it's interesting to see how people react to certain videos and um and even is content king or is quality king. And I think I think it's it's interesting. I think there's like whole different, it's almost like there's whole different groups of, of people eating the content. Even mm-hmm. we've talked about the hunting public here. Like even if the hunting public were to hire Rock House Motion to come in and shoot a piece, it's probably gonna get different eyeballs on it because of this way that it was shot almost. Like mm-hmm. I've talked to a handful of people in my little circles that uh, consume like they'll have a tv set up in their office over in the corner and as they're working all day they've got these 35 to 46 minute long uh, like hunting public style kind of little bit more rock cut stuff just like playing over in the corner and they're like I kind of like that it doesn't have music underneath it because it's not so distracting I can just like peek over every once in a while as I hear them get excited or right, whatever yes, it is <laughs> and it, where they're not going to do that with a film that's super cinematically cut and uh proving ground style like matthews like sure. if it's a five or six minute long video you're going to sit down and prepare yourself and like intently watch the screen you know yeah, yeah so it's yeah. like it's a whole different group of people i think that are consuming some of that content it is i
0: i certainly would agree with that I haven't I've never thought about it but yeah I mean people who just like like raw content and and like the amount of content and want to see more and more and more and then people who are like no I I want to you know grab a beer and sit down and watch some really high quality stuff and and like right. be amazed right right Right. <laughs> like yeah. a Donnie Vincent right like a Donnie I, Vincent film.
1: yeah exactly exactly yeah and it, it's a it's a I think the the best way to understand it I think I, I'm not doing it myself right on my own hunts or anything but I think the the reason why guys get into posting content as much as they can stems back to uh, creating that personality or wanting to share their more of their personality or they've got knowledge that they want to share like Mark Kenyon or, or Zach and, and Aaron from the hunting public are very smart dudes when it comes to hunting and they've they want to share that information and if you if you're not posting content on a very consistent basis like your example about like a rock house who takes 12 months to get a project out it's pretty hard for a dude to create a personality around his hunting style if all he's doing is posting one or two videos a year yeah so oh yeah for sure it's a a complex it's a complex thing it's not like a
0: there's no science
1: well and we get that question all the time and when we're working with brands is like, well, we want this thing to be really cleaned up and polished. It's like, okay. And you kind of got to talk through what is the end result? What is the end goal of this piece? It, is it to really entertain? Or are we trying to share a bunch of information? Or um, is, it, is it strictly just to entertain where it's like, this is just to make somebody laugh kind of thing? Yeah. And then you got the flip side to it. Like mo- you brought up Vortex like we work with vortex pretty heavily on creating 15 to 30 second cuts where it's just a commercial um, which is fun on our end on the brand creation or on the brand generation and helping with the marketing side is getting into some of more like the analytical type content where it's being used as a commercial or Facebook ad or different things like that. And you learn, throughout the process of working with brands on that kind of stuff too. Yeah, I remember
0: I remember seeing one that you put out, I don't know, it maybe maybe was a month or two ago. Yeah, it was the Venom. It was the Venom one for Vortex. That was that was a badass. Yeah. If you go to you guys, if, if you're listening to this and you're you're you can pull up your phone go to captured creative on on instagram or facebook or social or anything like that and find it's like what is it 11 posts ago it was a venom trailer for vortex yeah just the way i i think the the audio that you put together with the shots rolling off yeah i mean and and then you hear the ting in the background for every hit and all that i i thought that was really well put together
1: yeah yeah thank you and The thing that uh, a lot of people think that that a lot of those sounds are made up and like with that (laughs) shot, with that that specific commercial, uh, Jordan and I were, it was interesting because we were actually at a range um, about an hour from us here at a, we went over and he's a veteran sniper. Like he he used to uh, be in the armed forces and was a sniper. And now he's a sniper for the local SWAT team is the guy that's shooting in that video. And um, he had his spotter there, and we're we're getting to know him, you know, like we're just talking and shooting some photos and video content up closer of the scope and of him getting ready to shoot. And we're getting ready to actually fire off the first shot, and his it's going to be 400 yard shot, and we're at this at his at his range. So there's dirt mounds set up and whatnot, and they had a few almost like rolling dirt mounds which i think is pretty common in in the gun space to yeah. have that kind of thing at a range but um we got we get out there set up our cameras we've got two reds set up 10 feet away from the target so we're all crossing <laughs> our fingers that there's not going to be some shrapnel that flies back and just yeah. we're all like well insurance on speed dial here let's see if uh <laughs> shrapnel just goes shooting through the lens here but um it uh it, it went well that way but we got down there set up our cameras and we're on the phone with him and he's like well you guys don't have to come back all the way back here if you don't want to we're like okay and he's like unless if you don't trust me we are like oh no we trust you like he's he's a dude that's hitting five inches at 400 yards kind of thing you know or maybe even less i'm probably making him feel bad by saying five inches it's probably (laughs) an inch or something but this is our first time kind of doing this kind of thing. And we, uh, so he's like, there's a mound over there, like 50 yards back from the target and off to the right-hand side, just tuck yourself back on the opposite side from the, from me on there and you'll be good to go. He said, we do it all the time in training kind of thing. It's like, okay, trust, trust the dude that knows. Right. Yeah. And we get down there and, and he, he starts firing off. And I tell you what, like that sound of a bullet flying past your head I mean, it wasn't close to us, but flying over the top of us and hearing that, that sound is kind of uh, eerie a little bit. And but it, it was, a uh, it was a cool experience. And, and, uh, I actually crashed the drone on that, on that, uh, trip too. I was trying to fly the drone from his point of view all the way to the target 400 yards. And I had three windows of, of, uh, trees that didn't have any leaves on them in, in, I had to like, weave the drone in between and uh a branch at one point i just caught a branch with one uh, one of them and it uh she went spiraling down but
0: oh man that's anyways <laughs> so. yeah the I, I had one of those experiences uh, a guy that i worked with once he had a he had a nice drone it was like i think it was like a fan djf phantom one maybe your phantom two it was like brand new at the time okay but he uh he was we were staying at this this cabin and he had promised the the owner of the cabin that he would get some awesome drone footage and and some photos of the cabin and all that for marketing purposes for him he's flying that drone around in in high wind in the middle of the day and i was like man it's getting pretty dicey up there and he's like oh, i i can do this within like 30 seconds just slams
1: it right into the cabin really <laughs> just broke all four propellers yeah man drones have come a long ways too like from that phantom 1 or 2 they, did it have like a GoPro mounted underneath it?
0: No, it was one. It was, I mean, it, it looks like a GoPro. It wasn't a GoPro, but okay.
1: yeah, that's what it well, looked those, like. Those first, those first couple drones, like you had to have a lot more control over it. It's crazy. I don't, if you haven't flown one recently, you should get your mm-hmm. hands on or ha- bug somebody that you know, that has one. Cause it's crazy. They just, they just hover there. I actually was flying ours yesterday, uh, shooting some food plot stuff and, you just take your hands anytime you're like questioning something you just take your hands off the controller and it just stops and just hovers right where it's at it's oh that's pretty mad. almost so like
0: foolproof you, Little. what bit. are you running what one
1: i've got the dji mavic 2 pro okay so it's like two years old now or something like that but it's got really good quality for the uh price point of the of that drone we've had more expensive okay. drones bigger drones that kind of thing but uh, we actually have sold them all just because of the packability. I've got it right yeah. here. You know, it's just yeah, it looks insane. like a little lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, yeah, that's
0: sweet. I mean, in in terms of you know, it's one of those things. Being a a self film guy, like I try to just I'm as minimalist as possible when it comes you to camera to be, gear. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it's a hope and a dream at, at some day to to have friends and and be able to take the time to not only hunt for myself and film with myself, but also have friends film me. And in return, I film them and we can do some cool cinematic stuff, all that. I think a lot of people have that same aspiration. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's getting there.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll flip the script on that for you, though. On, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we do for the business and we can get into some more specific situations that uh, you have brought up little bit here but when you spend a lot of time in the field with a camera doing it for work I get home a lot of times during the hunting season and I just grab my hunting stuff my clothes my literal hunting stuff and I don't even bring a camera with I just (laughs) just need to get out there and not have a camera around me and yeah spend some time actually hunting and being able to just and I'm always, I always kick myself when I do that because you end up having a nice buck come out at like a hundred yards, too far to shoot with a bow, but it's like perfect for with like the 7,200 or a longer lens to be able to get a picture. And you're just like, yeah, ah, I could have used that for work or I could have gotten a video <laughs> clip or something, but right. know, there's something about just being able to reset uh, when you do media work in the hunting mm-hmm. industry it's good to just like get home and actually go out and hunt without a camera around you. Sometimes yeah. it, it like brings you back to why you started hunting when you were 12 years old or younger kind of thing. So.
0: Yeah, I, sir, I, I would certainly, you know, agree with that. And, and a lot of people are nowadays, I mean, everybody's got their phones, right. And some days I'll go out into the woods. I won't bring my camera. I'll put my phone on silent and just tell myself not even pick it up don't even pick up the phone, you know, (laughs) yeah, I know. (laughs) Don't even don't take any Instagram photos. Don't take any Snapchats, you know, don't text anybody like just be present in that moment. And that is, that is certainly refreshing um, to a degree until like, you know uh, a doe walks underneath you and you're like oh man I wish I would have had my camera It's so, like this was a badass photo look at that sun you know sunset yeah. and my bow is looking nice all that jazz
1: <laughs> i know and, and i should preface what i just got done saying with most of the time yeah I, I do bring the camera with i even on when i'm by myself i'll have my like i'll do a specific typically what it ends up being is i've got a longer lens a tamron 150 to 600 that okay. is good for wildlife type stuff and um i'll lots of times have that with my camera on that lens just tucked straight down into my pack and i'm not self-filming or any of that stuff of my myself so it is kind of still a reprieve from always having a camera ready to go but uh i if i see a deer out there a little ways i can grab that camera quick and and get (laughs) some stuff and it's come in handy i i don't know if you remember seeing some of like the vortex uh we make like a rut video uh, for them every fall the last okay. couple of years and it throughout the whole month of October I have that camera just like sitting there and it, anytime that I'm out hunting most of the clips that I've gotten of deer for those for that project has been when I'm out on a personal hunt and I'm just grabbing <laughs> a video clip of a deer dog in a doe at middle of October and she has no interest in him at all but the he's uh he's already getting a little horny so he's chasing <laughs> her around the food plot or the field edge and you're able to get some footage of it and that stuff really comes in nicely for little projects like that. So
0: yeah. Oh I could uh, yeah I could certainly see that.
1: Um I so... should make I should make my own show though with all the camera gear <laughs> that we have. We we got enough GoPros and right. I
0: mean we, we don't have, use GoPros yeah. a
1: ton for work but you do still have them and it's like we should we should uh be bringing them with and pointing them at ourselves just to be able to use them as home videos even
0: yeah yeah for i know that is one thing i'm excited uh i do keep a a bunch of the footage and there's some that i put into like a save folder that i can you know my kid's two and a half years old and at some point i'll be able to you know when i'm 50 years old and he's you know 20 I'll be like, hey, you know, this is what I used to look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. This is what I used to do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can make a captured creative like dump, dump Instagram where you just like grab footage and just dump it in there. Raw cuts, just like some cool stuff that you guys are happy with. You're like, super cool photo, unedited. Just here it is. <laughs> I know.
1: I <laughs> no know. No effort. We, I know. It's, it's an interesting, social media is an interesting thing because that's actually, um, how captured Creative sort of built up to what it is. Um, we we kind of did that through social media, through Instagram, um, posting a lot, taking companies in it. Um, we didn't ever jump into the DMs that much <laughs> that way, but it was a lot of just like, here's a Matthew's bow next day. Here's another picture of Matthew's bow. And then sure. through the time of like a year of doing that, you, you gain the attention finally of the right person. And, yeah. uh, that's, and that's just one example with Matthews, but it's, it kind of has happened different ways. And then with how social everything is on there, you, somebody sees it and then passes it on to somebody else. And sure. you're able to, um, kind of, uh, branch out and meet new people that way. And mm-hmm. that's actually how the business kind of started. And I was at that time, I remember back like five years ago, posting on social, like every day, or sometimes twice a day. And then as you get busier, it stops, you just like, you look at I I look at the account sometimes, and I, I'm like a stickler with myself, I got rules, like I need to, I need to post on there, because it's a business and it should, it should, we've got so much content we could share. And uh, I look at it sometimes like, crap, it's been seven days since I've posted on capture (laughs) Creatives account. <laughs> and, and we legit do have photos from years ago that are still badass photos that should get shared and they still haven't seen the light of day. It's like, I need to, I want to just post every day, even if it's like a throwback to past yeah. years, just to put out content.
0: <laughs> I'm yeah. trying.
1: I'm trying. It's a goal of mine. Let's, we'll see if it happens. <laughs> yeah, I could,
0: uh, it's, I mean, for anybody who's trying to build a social media account, that's, that's the objective is to post like every day and have it be meaningful in a way that makes sense. But right. Uh, right. Yeah. So okay, kind of a hard uh, I like to I like to have smoother transitions than this. But no, you're good. Um kind That's of a hard, hard out. transition here is uh my dog is barking right now trying to get up the stairs. Um, so I apologize if you can hear that in the background. Uh you just got back from a boundary waters trip yeah tell yeah was that was that a work trip or was that a fun trip and play or what was going on
1: that was it it started off um this last winter as a trip for as an opportunity to go out with the dads um okay you know hunting for both jordan and i hunting and and fishing stems back to spent you know with our dads that's that's where we got into this and and they're the ones that have taught us everything that we know, um, so to speak. So it started off as let's go on this trip, let's get away. And then obviously, as things happen, you mention it to so-and-so and mention to another company, and it quickly kind of grows into it. But that's the beauty of the companies and relationships that we've built. Everybody's like, if you want this as a personal experience with your dads, you don't have to work on this. But you know, if you do take any pictures, let's make sure you have the right gear. Like I want you to have this piece or this clothing or whatever (laughs) it is on in the pictures. It's like, okay. So we, we took it really chill. We didn't, we didn't, I mean, I think we took, we were there for four days. It's going to sound a little heavy, but we took, we were there for four days. We took, each took 800 pictures, but a lot of them were, just us having fun it was like a lot of just uh taking pictures of ourselves or you know holding up a fish or taking pictures of camp to make sure we remembered what camp looked like and stuff like that so yeah it was it was a personal trip
0: (laughs) yeah no that's that's awesome and and i and me you have to do that right you know you have to have those those have you ever been up there
1: uh
0: i've been so when we go to the boundary i've been to the boundary waters a few times um but when we went, uh, I had a six month, um, what, I, what is it called? Uh, student transfer or whatever it's called, where you go to another school in Australia. So okay. foreign exchange, that's it. So I did foreign exchange for six months in Australia, met a dude there. His name's Joe. And he's like a real life crocodile Dundee, like lives in the bush, makes all his own stuff. Like he's a biologist by trade um, and by yeah. degree, I should say, yada, yada, yada. He travels to give you an idea. His, his dad and his family, what they would do for work was his dad would take a helicopter. He'd go hunt pigs and kangaroos in Australia, um, with a commercial license. So you can't hunt kangaroos in, in Australia, uh, legally without a commercial light. You have to get a license for it, which are, there's very few of them, but so he'd go in these helicopters, he'd hunt them. Every one of them has to be shot in the head. He'd go get them, pick them up, take them back to a semi trailer, a chilled semi trailer, and Joe, his mom, and his sister would be waiting there, and they would skin them and and cut them up and hang them, and then his dad would go out and get more and more, and like that's what they did for work. So like really interesting family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, and he ended up working at a uh, guide in the boundary waters in Canada, technically. So he's like, hey mate, I'm working in Canada if you wanna come up here. And I'm like, where are you at? And he was, uh, he's like, Eli. And I was like, no shit. Yeah, I can make it up there for sure. It's a lot closer than Australia. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we went up there for three years um, and we would, we'd technically be in Canada so we could yep. have a, a, a motorboat, right? So okay. we'd, we'd motorboat in, we'd be in Canada. We'd have motorboats on like, you know, the North side of the Lake or whatever you want to call it. Yep. And, uh, and then yeah, to the South side was all boundary waters. So we'd have people canoeing past us and stuff and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so that was, that was my extent of it.
1: Yeah. Nice. And it, it's an interesting, I've been to in the rainy Lake area, which is the sure. border of uh, Canada and Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And I've done some walleye fishing up there in, in boats. Um, and it's, that's fun too. Like that we were, we went like 40 miles, um, down rainy Lake with our, with our boats. And that was, that was a heck of a trip. But this one that we did this spring was all canoe. And it was where we, from the put-in spot, we canoed in three and a half miles, you know, and you've got all your gear that you're questioning why I brought this as (laughs) you're weighted down in your canoe and, and, uh, but, but you get there. I mean, the thing about that area is for some reason it rains like every day up there, even in the, even in the middle of summer, when there's, when it's dry, (laughs) it's going to rain on you for like 30 minutes at least. And, um, so you're always you're always hearing some thunder watching a storm roll in trying to make a decision or on the water like can we yeah. make
0: this can we make this paddle or not
1: <laughs> yeah there was literally a time on this last trip where it was a small thunderhead but it was lightning straight over the top of us as it's raining on us and we're in the middle of the lake and we're like <laughs> yeah everyone's making a joke because i'm the tallest one there so even like sitting down in the canoe i'm the tallest <laughs> one they're like taylor just grab the fishing rod and hold it up in the air so that you're the one that gets it instead of us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, you take uh, the, you take the blunt force there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But we, no, we had a blast up there. It's, it's so much fun and we're not big fishermen, but we, we went fishing every morning and, and evening. And by the, by the last day we, we figured it out a little bit and we were catching some smallmouth and some walleye and had sure. a, we caught enough fish each day to, to for everyone to eat a little bit. Of, okay. of fish and you jigging
0: but, you jigging a minnow throwing top water or running we, did a le- or...
1: We, we went through uh two dozen leeches um okay or no sorry four dozen yeah we did four dozen leeches up there and uh we went through all of them and then we had top water um more like small mouth bass type yeah. stuff um that w- like rapalas that were going a foot below the surface kind of oh, thing sure they throwing it up against there's obviously on those lakes up there there's a ton of deadfall that just in the water on the Mm -hmm. edges and seem like every tree you came around that was like that there's going to be some bass underneath it yeah so it was fun that way to we never caught any. never caught any fish walleye or smallies that were big that were just really big but it was it was fun you caught a lot of medium-sized fish and those are kind of the better eaters anyway so
0: yeah (laughs) yeah the thing about fishing the boundary waters is uh my buddy and i would always say it is like this is what fishing is looks like on tv and this is what's fishing supposed to be like yeah (laughs) like oh there's a down tree let me just throw this in there yep got one
1: (laughs) yeah for sure for sure and there's absolutely nothing that comes close to catching a fish taking it back to camp frying it over the fire or like we were frying it over jet boil and oh, yeah. and eating it like within an hour from when you caught it there's just the only thing that comes close to it is shooting a deer and frying up the back that same <laughs> night yeah. you know it's like it's like such a primal thing to be able to catch something and especially up there more so than the backstraps oh, yeah. at home when you're like camping and and you catch them and you're in the middle of nowhere with no cell service and you, and you're going, you no distractions. It's just, it's crazy. And you just get a chance to kind of feel like you're more one with nature at that moment. So,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. And it's not even like, uh, I mean, it's pure, it's pure wilderness, right? So it's not like, uh, the sense when you, when you're on a farm at home and you have your food plots and all that, and you have your cabin and, or your house or whatever, And you kind of are still connected, you know, when you're up there and it's like, no, hon, wife, girlfriend, family member, I don't have service. I'm not going to have service. We're going in on Monday. If you don't hear from me by next Sunday, then, you know, wait until Monday and I might call you next Monday. (laughs) You
1: know, (laughs) exactly, exactly the case. And I don't know if you've had any Western experience, but there's been a few trips that we've been on where you do shoot something and you are still like in the back country and you're able to make a little fire. And yeah, that's, that's intense to like cutting up the heart and, and putting it on a stick or backstraps on it on the end of like a stick over yeah. the fire there. If, if you've never done it before, I highly recommend taking a package of backstrap, even at home, start a campfire outside, and go out there with backstrap and put it on the end of a stick and just slow cook that over flame on over a fire. For some reason that, that meat just, I don't know if it's just able to like, because it's free holding like on the end of a stick instead of being on a pan or a grate, but that Mm -hmm. meat just tastes so good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I got this year, I got, uh, I got a fire pit for my backyard that doubles as a grill. So yeah. you can uh so I will make fires and then we'll grill over it. And in the moment we don't notice like all the smoky flavor that comes out of it. Uh just because you're sitting outside, you're by the fire, you can the, the smoke just fills your nose and everything already. Yep. Um and then the next day when we heat up leftovers, you're like, "Whoa, this is really smoky." Yeah, <laughs> good, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah, it's not uh, it's not natural gas. It's not charcoal. It's like you know, right?
1: Smoke. Well, and that's you know. what, like the grill. I've got a pellet grill. Yeah, uh, and that's how that is too. You know, it's yeah that it does get just a little different flavor to it.
0: hmm So for, yeah, for sure. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned Western hunting, which is a good good transition. So you guys go on all of these all these hunts with all these different yeah. people, all these different companies. Um, are there any like big lessons or like things that you found really important or, uh, yeah, impactful when you've gone on these hunts and you're just like, wow, this is something I never really noticed before. This is something that like really was only specific to whitetail hunters or, or this is, uh, this is something that's totally different when you're hunting elk or hunting mule deer or pronghorn that I never think about back home and Taylor's from Minnesota, if you guys don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I grew up, I grew up whitetail hunting, to further accentuate that. I I went on my first western hunt when I was a teenager with my dad, but um, on these trips, I think the thing that, on the western side, I think the thing that I've learned the most about going on trips with, on multiple trips with sort of let's just call them heavy hitter type people where maybe they're influencers in this space they've been around doing it for a long time or what what have you they're known for being a good hunter um i think the thing that i've learned the most about that process is to just never give up like before we went on those trips i remember go before we went on those specific trips with those people you'd be like man what are we going to learn what are we going to learn from being able to hunt with Ryan Callahan who's now with meat eater or yeah, uh, we went on it. We walked around hunting with Mark Healy um, at one point. And, and those are the names that are just bigger that people are going to recognize. But like, even like the first light crew, like guys that are elk hunting for 28 days, every season, like what are you going to pick up and learn from those guys? Yeah. And it's not, there's some skills. There's there, definitely skills involved with being a successful hunter, right? But uh, but I'd say more so than not. It's all about just being persistent and just getting out there and yeah, like, blowing stock opportunities help happen for everybody, and multiple times a day if you're hunting like all day long on elk hunting, so the best way to be successful is just to keep on doing it and you'll build those skills and learn from one experience to the next and finally you're successful right but even even like the time that we hunted with uh Callahan or Ryan Callahan it wasn't like uh it wasn't like we marched into this little valley we found elk right away but it wasn't like we marched right up to him and had a shot opportunity you know we've made a we made a play on them as as most educated play that 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 he felt we could do and they still won you know they still they still beat us we hunted those elk all day and we never got a shot opportunity so it's not I think the biggest thing about Western hunting is that you just have to be persistent. And that also plays over into whitetail from what I've learned is just like log time in the field. Mark Kenyon is the prime example of that. He just, he just is out there. He's out there all the time. If you listen to his podcast in the fall, he's like, yep, I'm on day 23 in a row of going hunting. You know, it's like, who is, And I know some people who have day jobs aren't able to accomplish (laughs) a schedule like that, you know? Um, But when it comes to being successful in the field, I think persistence and just staying after it's the key to to your overall success.
0: Yeah, okay. Another
1: thing that I've learned too, is I grew up hunting uh, food plots, uh, like kind of smaller food plots on our home farm and always wanting to be on the food and if you want to hunt mature bucks, white-tailed deer, you can't be on the food. And that's something that I learned. and actually kind of more recently, like in the last couple of years it kind of finally started to click with in my head. is just like it wasn't something that was being preached on those trips, but I was just we were finding ourselves time and time again not walking past the food to go hunt somewhere else, you know and I think that that, that's probably the biggest takeaway that I'm still wrapping my head around and still building my own skill sets up as a hunter. But getting off of the food, getting back into the cover, back into the edge of the bedding or whatever it is, more the transition areas, um, if you want to kill a buck. If you want to see a lot of deer and you want to shoot a doe or something, hunt on the edge because you'll be able to see her hour and a half before daylight and you'll have fun and you'll see deer. But if you want to be able to see a mature buck, you can't be there. So,
0: yeah, I feel, I I feel to the, to that extent, you know, if you're taking out a new hunter working with, you know, first time hunters or something like that, the food plot, it's the spot to be right Yeah, places where you can see a lot of stuff. It's a lot of action. Like it's not boring. Um, or even kids, like that's where you want to be. But as time goes on and you sit, you sit that food plot, you know, six, seven, eight days. And you're like, man, I'm not, I only get these camera pictures of this buck at night. Well, yeah you should probably not you should go find where is he coming from like go that way and go right. try to try to work your way back to where he's coming from
1: right yeah and on our personal farm here in Minnesota it's kind of set up in a unique situation where we have a lot of a lot of good bedding it's kind of some to paint a slight picture it's like 40 acres of 30 year old pine trees and then there's a strip on the southern edge of it that's like um, 40 acres again or 35 acres of spruce trees that are the same age but they're a little bit more spread out because they're different type of tree and then uh, then there's some uh, grass next to it some 40 acres of tall native grasses but then it borders on the southern edge of it is just this giant swamp that's called like the seven mile swamp like it's just long big big swamp right yeah. it's almost like you can't hunt in the swamp because it's just so big and vast, kind of thing, and it's all privately owned. But um, our property, given the, the good dense cover, is really good for does. And a lot of people have different opinions on this. I'm not trying to sound like a I'm not no whitetail genius here, but from what I what we've noticed is that the the does will actually kick the bucks out of the good bedding. Out of, out of that bedding where it's like good fawning habitat um sure. it's maybe not the best bedding like the buck is going to go on the edge of the point where he's got his wind all good and whatever like that's considered the best bed in the area so he's going to take that but when it comes to that comfortable bedding in the trees and stuff cool yeah. bought right by the food you you kind of scratch your head as a hunter like why wouldn't he want to be right there but the, I think the does oftentimes kick them out of those areas and um, so we've found that hmm. most of our property where we can hunt is heavy doe concentration and we're to your point we get a lot of trail cam pictures of bucks at night midnight coming up
0: from the dirty checking, swamp.
1: checking a scrape eating some food whatever it is and so We've actually like this last winter, we actually have we revamped our mind. We actually took tree stands down instead of just usually we leave them up like ladder stands and stuff. And we we went out there at the end of the season and just took them all down as a way to like blank slate it in our head. Sure. And we were like, we just need to start fresh here on this piece of property and think of it differently. So we've got a ton of cameras out. We're trying some trying some different spots for cameras, and then there's some edges very very on the very edge of like that sort of the swampy grounds away from that doe bedding that I was talking about that um we're hoping (laughs) that that's the key to maybe seeing some more buck activity during the day is getting on that edge of the swamp a little further away from the does it's further away from those food sources that I was talking about and maybe we'll actually be able to switch the switch the tune and actually try to pattern a buck on that property it's just such a unique situation right anytime you have to hunt 100 acres you have to look at it so differently than being able to hunt that piece of public and that piece of public and like the wind's good for that spot over on that on that piece of public for that one buck bed that i found yeah it's like no when you're hunting a piece of private you're stuck you're almost like (laughs) you're stuck to this one spot and because you put so much time and effort into it all all year long when it comes to the hunting season you oftentimes find yourself like well i have to hunt this right we spend money on it we we put our time on it like i i want to hunt this land but i'm just getting sick of sitting on the food sources and not seeing a good buck right
0: (laughs) yeah Oh yeah, for sure. I, you know, when we, when we bought our hundred acres, um, the one of the first year and even last year as well, I did, I, I did a lot of, a lot of sits in, uh, different spots. So like on a hundred acres, I've probably sat, you know, I'll just run, I'll run my saddle, um, some days and other days I'll have some, a, a tree stand on my back depending on the tree and where I'm going. But I mean, I probably have sat, you know, 40 different trees on that hundred acres, you know, and some of them might only be 30 yards from the other ones and some of them are 200 yards. Um, It just, it's like, okay, how, like I have, I have FOMO really bad fear of missing out. So I like want to know what's going on everywhere. And then based on once I gather all the Intel I can, on the hundred and I sit all these different spots, I can go, okay, this, this spot did suck. Like, I don't want to hunt here again. It looked good on a map, but this spot sucked. Cross it off the list. Right. No good trees, terrible shooting lanes, like not good pattern, not good wind, like terrible entry and exit, like not interested. Cross that one off. How about this one? You know? And so this will be year three. And I'm kind of, I feel like I'm getting it narrowed down to certain certain spots, certain areas that I like. Um, and then based on wind direction and time of year, you just kind of pick one of those and away you go. Right. right, um, Yeah. So, and, and for, for mine as well is, uh, where I'm at, it has the, the private property has like no mosquitoes. So for me, I'd spend a lot of my early season out there <laughs> just because, yeah no mosquitoes easy walking you know if i shoot something and it's hot out i can take the four-wheeler out there and throw it on and and away i go right um but as the as the season rolls on and and winds change and and uh patterns change and all that i certainly will continue to hunt the public by my house because i have some good spots out there and the fun part about the public is you have no idea what you're going to see
1: no I think that's a huge misconception for public land um I hear it all the time even from family members where like we're constantly driving around in the in the summertime because we just like to look at deer and you're so you're driving around property that's not even close to where you hunt you're just looking for good bucks or want to see a good deer and so you go through you go by public chunks right you're like you're like well, here I saw that we saw some good bucks over on this public. Like we should go walk it sometimes we even do in the summertime and then come fall. Every, all of my, like my close knit hunting group is mainly family. Like my family is very hunting centric. We're all archery hunters. So we spend a lot of time hunting and everyone's got private land that they hunt, but so you always are talking every day, right? Group text. Like, what'd you see tonight? That kind of thing. Yeah. And, you send messages to each other sometimes there's like maybe we should go check that piece of public out and It's like but we never do i mean <laughs> when i say never when i say never it's like maybe once a year you actually will take the time to go and trudge in there and hang up a stand and stuff partially because you already have stands set up on that private that's just super easy to go into sneak into that kind of yeah. thing but it's it's Literally like this last year, it just started to really eat at me. That like, why am I spending so much time on a piece of private land that we don't have like a really good target buck? Like, yeah, there's there's a handful of that like 120 to 140 range kind of deer that I would gladly shoot with my bow and be proud of it. But we don't have a giant that's on camera why are we spending so much time here doing this when i know that i saw that deer during the summer on that piece of public or right by it that was like he was in velvet he still had some growing to do but he was like a 170 class deer <laughs> like why am i not willing to go sit on that but it's a, it's just the fear of it's like the fear of the unknown and the comfort zone of it the is. private. So. yeah you
0: feel yeah you feel like you feel like if you go to that piece of public and you don't see anything, you wasted your time. But right. then at the same at the same flip of that coin, you're going to your private and you feel like you're wasting your time too. So it's like
1: exactly
0: just like all right, whatever.
1: Yeah, That's yeah, when no, that's when, a, that's my when uh, season private. can get uh, frustrating. That's when hunting season, <laughs> even, and I say that with a grain of salt, right? Like we all enjoy hunting season, but. That's when you start to overanalyze and st- it starts to get frustrating.
0: That's, that's the thing I, I feel like, uh, and I remember Aaron Warbritton on the podcast last year said it. He's like, my goal is to not overthink things this year. Yeah. Just Don't overthink it. Like just roll with the flow. Cause sometimes, you know, it's always funny when, uh, when you're talking to like a newer hunter and they point out something so obvious and they're like, why wouldn't you just do this? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm. I guess I should. I probably should just do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. Um, Yeah, yeah. And to your point, preview earlier uh, the persistence thing. You know, day twenty three or whatever. I I feel that, you know, if if hunting, if if you're one of those people out there that are like, man, I want to hunt that much and I can't, or or you know, and you you want to get there, like you need to find a if that is really your passion and your goal, you need to find a job or a lifestyle that supports that, you yes. know? And a lot of people think they're, that they're stuck, right? That you're stuck selling John Deere tractors for the rest of your life. Like, Nope, this is my job. This is what I need. And, and I, and I bet also to your point, the fear of the unknown people don't want to take the chance at leaving and trying exactly. something new and creating a captured creative, Or even just you know finding part time work and making ends meet. Yeah. It. it,
1: I. I live. I live. I don't have a specific model that I like tell myself every day, but I live by the. You need to this this life. This I'm only 29, or pretty young. I feel like still pretty young, but. I, I I try to remind myself all the time, and even five years ago when I quit my day job, was like. I'm not going to live this life we, to not be happy, you know, right? Like, yeah, yeah money's nice and all that stuff, but you, you got to enjoy what you're doing day to day. But then on top of it, if you can't like go hunting, for example, like I would rather make 25 or 30 grand a year and have this be my own boss. So I can like be wide open. That's what yeah. my head was saying when I quit my job, right? Is like I'm giving up an opportunity to make really good money, but I don't have control of my schedule. Like I'd rather quit, maybe make a lot less money for a couple of years as when I'm like building this business. But now I'm I'm my own boss. And I tell you what, I could not go back to being <laughs> working for somebody else again. Right. Like, yeah, there's there's some. You brought one of them up earlier. There's a few opportunities that are coming up here that I'm excited to share more publicly. But being my own boss and being able to control that schedule is so critical. And and to Mark Kenyon's, you know, the thing we talked about with him, that's that's what he's doing, too. I mean, I've heard him talk about it on his podcast before, too, is like he's created a situation where he can hunt a lot. yeah that was on purpose, right? Like <laughs> By it's design, kind of, Exactly. And we've actually, we went through a little bit of a phase the last couple of years where as capture creative ramped up in the amount of work that we did is the first couple of years, it was like, Oh, cool. We have all this time in the fall. We can go hunting for ourselves. And we have, but we have a couple trips. It was like, Oh, that's fine. And then as things ramped up and as things got more successful, all of a sudden we found our fall is just like book solid. And well, now we can't, now we're not even hunting at all. And we've actually like plateaued out on that and like the thought process of it. And now we're almost strategically planning to not be gone for the rut so that we can actually hunt for ourselves where I think Jordan was telling me the other day that he's been, he's been gone for like the second week of November for the last five years or something like that. <laughs> right. Like he hasn't even yeah. been able to hold a bow during the middle of the rut at home. So.
0: Yeah. So I you. so, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a natural progression. Like, man, we have so much time on our hands. This is awesome, but it's also not good financially. And then you book everything up and you're like, Oh, this is awesome financially, but it's not good hunting. And you're like, all right, where's that happy middle ground where we're good financially and we still get to spend, you know, two, three, four weeks doing our own thing and right. having our own time. Right. Yeah. And
1: yeah, I yeah. think through the process of building um, Capture Creative, we've found avenues um, without getting into too much detail on it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to like softly walk around, not giving away too much information about things that we're working on. But um, <laughs> there's, there's uh, situations and with brands and whatnot that you, that you're able to some of it just takes time or, or takes trust from the brand. And like, you got to just build up that trust and that relationship with them to where they, they, they take your opinion and, and it matters. But finding ways and avenues to do projects that don't require you to be gone. Maybe mm-hmm. you're able to do it with people locally. Sure. Um, or you're able to do it on your own hunts.
0: Or yeah. Whatever yeah.
1: it is. Like wear. you talked about earlier. You yeah, know,
0: meeting that that Venom shoot was an hour from your house. You know, Vortex yeah. Optics is like what five and a half, six hours, so you didn't exactly. have to come all the way down there. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Like for that shoot, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. Like for that shoot, Vortex even um, shipped us a gun that they wanted in that shoot, just because sure. we we were able to like build this relationship with them to where they they trust us and they sent the gun to us that they wanted in the shoot sent us the clothing, sent us the rifle scope, like everything was set up and you have calls leading up to it to make sure with the marketing team, like you would in in person even, but then they just trust you to like do the shoot. They don't need to be standing there hand holding you. And, And same on the, on the hunting side too, like say first light product videos, like we've done first lights product videos now for the last five years or something like that four years i don't even really know now but um western hunts obviously you got to be out west but whitetail hunts there's we're constantly running prototype gear in the field which leads me this is a different rabbit hole but i'm not able to share a lot of my hunts and real time sure. on social because i'm constantly running new gear yeah but getting back to the point like we're doing all this stuff on personal hunts where we maybe do have jordan come with me and hunt with me while i'm able to still hunt the spot i want to hunt but he's able to get we're going to shoot 30 clips Content. that night for a yeah. specific jacket or sure. for a bow or whatever it is mm-hmm. so it's pretty you still get out and try to do some hunting you're able to still get out and do some personal hunting but sometimes there's just like extra legs added to that hunt. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Oh yeah. We're also going to do this or we're going to do that or, but it's right?
0: fun. Oh, that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, Hey man, we're at about an hour 15 or so. Um, I've, I mean, I've had a great time chatting with you. I really appreciate you, you hopping on. Yeah. We'll um, have to,
1: we'll have to jump on again sometime and, and maybe dive into a few situations a little bit deeper. And, and, uh, we're, we're going on a, north dakota uh personally here again it's a lot of business will get wrapped into it but we're going on uh, a personal hunt with our dads again um we're planning to if we don't fill tags it would grow into maybe two three um extended weekends of uh of trips out to western and eastern north dakota this fall to do some archery hunting
0: you doing like uh, muleys out west and whitetails out east
1: or probably just whitetail um, okay just chasing whitetail um just because nobody likes them no there's like zero pressure on whitetail in especially western and north and south dakota yeah. they look at them as like rats out there so <laughs> uh, get down yeah. in the river bottoms and and uh and spend some time chasing after those with saddles and um it'll be it'll be fun and i think we're going to learn a lot to the point that we've been making on this podcast a little bit i think there's going to be some learning experiences and probably some, uh, stuff we can talk about. So,
0: yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I'd, I'd thoroughly enjoy talking about that. Cause I mean, you're talking totally new terrain, new food patterns, new type of food, new deer patterns. Like, yeah, Public it's line. totally, totally different. And it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're out West, but you're not out West. Cause if you're in the river bottom, you have nice steep mountainous terrain that's decent for stalking. And then you get up on the top flatland, and now you're just rolling hills that you ain't gonna stop yeah. at all, really.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So. Vast, like Western North Dakota. I mean, there's just vast chunks of public land, so it's it's insane. And you get off, you know, load up your pack from the truck in the morning and get off of there like three miles in or something where you don't have the road hunters anymore. And yeah, there's there's some cool ground you can get yourself into, and literally, literally the the wondering what you're going to run into, right? Like yeah. there's bucks, there's bucks back in there that probably haven't ever been seen by human. So, right. Then yeah. they're always big and giant,
0: especially when you don't see them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. All right. Well, Hey man, I, I appreciate you hopping on. Um, again, it's, it's at Taylor it's, is it at Taylor Coleman? Is that your, uh, my
1: personal is Taylor underscore Coleman. Okay. I, I believe. And then, uh, and then, uh, business is captured creative. Um, follow us on Instagram. Don't follow us on Facebook because I do a really bad job of keeping up <laughs> posts on Facebook. Um, but uh, yeah, so those are, those are the things and, and can't say much about it, but file follow, Di- follow dialed archery. Dialed you won't Archer. be disappointed. There's, All right. there's good things coming.
0: Yeah. It looks, it looks pretty cool so far, at least the photos that you guys put up there.
1: <laughs> yeah we'll share well, more well. soon we're getting close so all
0: right awesome well thanks everybody for listening really appreciate it um stick around for the next few podcasts we got coming up got some good ones and then we will have the deer Vane whitetail series this fall again which is going to be two episodes a week um pretty much in real time for whatever time of season it is so we'll have you know two uh two in early september uh or i should say two I guess in the month of September, we'll have almost eight podcasts out, six or eight. And then October, will again, we'll be six or eight covering a bunch of different topics. Same with November. So that will be coming up. We're starting planning on that. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys later.